Hemlock Knots. Cracking the restoration's toughest subjects through rational, balanced analysis of source material. So called the New and Everlasting Covenant of Marriage. We're going to be covering this historically on the timeline, and I've got with me Steve Briner. Hey, Steve. Hey. Okay, so with this question of the New and Everlasting Covenant of Marriage, one of the major things that we have in the traditional LDS timeline in the story is that on May 16, 1843, there's an event in Ramos, Illinois, and that becomes Doctrine and Covenants section 131. Now, this is not a revelation. It's simply, like we'll show in a minute, these are journal entries that were spun up into canonical scripture later on. Um, but while visiting Ramus, this is according to the LDS Church website, while visiting Ramus, Illinois, Joseph Smith taught that eternal marriage is required for exaltation. Okay, so we're going to explore this. Um, and then, you know, the, the other text that goes along with that is, and here's some of the context hit, highlighted in blue on the screen. While visiting Benjamin and Melissa Johnson at their home in Ramus, Illinois on May 16, 1843, the prophet Joseph Smith taught that entering into the new and everlasting covenant of marriage is required for exaltation. See D&C 131 verses 1 through 4. And then sealed the couple for eternity. So Steve, our biggest questions today are A, did this happen as described? And B, what can we glean from this story by looking at some of the historical documents and figuring out what exactly is the new and everlasting covenant? Yeah. Right? Yep. I mean, in, in LDS, typical LDS culture, the, the new and everlasting covenant is looked at as eternal marriage. So is it really that? Yeah. And that's all we're trying to answer for today. Um, and so let's take a look at this first one. So that link to the 16th of May, 1843, um, when you click on the earliest known sources of, there's a list of earliest known sources behind every section of the Doctrine and Covenants. That's on the Joseph Smith papers. It's super helpful. This one leads to Joseph Smith's instruction in Ramus. There's interim content. You can see up here in the top corner, it says interim content. So they haven't even put this record up yet on the page, even though it's, it's one of the sections 131 in the DNC. So um, we have to do a little bit of digging because it's not quite fleshed out. They're not ready to present this story. Um, and so here you just have a little bit of the transcript in the bottom right corner that says, he put his hand on my knee and says, your life is hid with Christ and God. Anyway, so there's just a little bit there in that entry. Um, it's a partial transcription of William Clayton's journal. So Let's dig in here. So let's take a look at the William Clayton Journal. And so the only portion that's transcribed, and hopefully you guys can see this well enough on the screen, is the bottom two and a half lines are transcribed onto the Joseph Smith papers. The rest of it has not been transcribed yet for whatever reason. Okay, so keep that in mind. We have a partial transcription here on the original sources of the DNC. And now let's get into a little bit more of the actual DNC 131 that we have. Steve, what do we know about 131 and its history? Well, DNC 131 was given by, they say it was given by Joseph Smith, and it wasn't, it wasn't actually a revelation. It was just instructions. There wasn't any, you know, thus, thus saith the Lord. It was just some instructions supposedly given by by Joseph Smith. 
Right. Um, this section was canonized in 1876, April of 1876. Oh, so not even way, way after. It's a year before Brigham Young died. Yeah, way after Joseph Smith's death. Yeah, so this was not anything that the Latter-day Saints in Kirtland or um, Nauvoo had in any of their scriptures or anything like that. I mean, it wasn't even a revelation. Why would they put it in there, right? So that was a much later development out of Utah. So William Clayton's journal itself is quoted there on the left, and it says, In the celestial glory there are three heavens or degrees, and in order to obtain the highest, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood. If he don't, he cannot obtain it. And you'll see that in 1876, there are parenthetical statements added to that verse where it says, in order to obtain the highest, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood. That's the end of Clayton's description of it. So this was, whatever comes after that, that was added on brackets, after the fact. You can see on yeah. the screen. And what did they add exactly, Steve? Meaning the new and everlasting covenant. So there it's defined the new and everlasting covenant as of marriage. marriage. Yeah. Of marriage, yeah. And so this is really the crux behind the idea that's taught in the LDS temples today, that in order to get to the celestial kingdom, you have to be sealed up and in eternal marriage. Um, and so this, we're really looking at this idea of like, where did the evolution of the new and everlasting covenant come from? What did it start out as in the early church? What changed over time? And what do we have today? And you guys can decide for yourselves on this channel what it means to you, right? Okay, so keep that in mind. As we look at the next couple documents, we are studying the original and the drafted and the final text of this revelation in Doctrine and Covenants 131. I called it a revelation. I fell for it. This instructions from a couple people's journals, right? So the opposite of revelation. So here we go. Okay, so we need to ask ourselves, is this the journal entry or is it scripture? Here's the William Clayton journal that it comes from. And you'll notice um, that at that red break right there on his journal, you'll see that the, the original one that we have, the earliest source, it doesn't say anything about the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. And yet, as you remember, the church now today is saying that on this date, the only record we have is William Clayton's journal. On this date, the church, the LDS church official story is saying that Joseph Smith taught that entering into the new and everlasting covenant of marriage is required for exaltation. No, he didn't. I never said that. That's not anywhere in the records. Where is that from? Can I ask that? Which part? The, the very first, what you just showed. Um, that is from the LDS website. Oh, LDS website. Um, okay. I think you look it up topically, um, topical guide maybe. One of the entries for New and Everlasting Covenant shows that. But they're claiming that Joseph Smith taught that, A, the New and Everlasting Covenant was marriage mm -hmm. on this day, and that it was required for exaltation. But William Clayton's journal says otherwise. It doesn't say any of that stuff um, as far as it being tied to marriage, right? So here you have it, William Clayton's own journal, his son, um, Joseph Smith Papers, number 1068, page 14. And you'll see that there's nothing mentioned about the New and Everlasting Covenant of marriage here. And so this is interesting, too, because now you've got the rest of the story. Um, and here is really where things get really bizarre, we think. They're, they're worth questioning. They're worth exploring. So on this page, these are the notes in William Clayton's journal about Joseph Smith going to Ramus, Illinois, and talking about this new interaction covenant of marriage with Benjamin F. Johnson and a few others. So what you'll notice here is that 
at the end of the previous entry on, the, on page one on the left there, you'll see there's a little red line, and immediately after that, there's a new handwriting style that starts. Can you see the slant is a little bit different? Yeah, yeah. it looks very different. Very different, and it's probably the same penman, you know, the same author, I think, the same writer. There's no doubt about that. I think it is William Clayton in both cases. Um, however, it's, it's in a different font, if you will. <laughs> same writer, different font. And so you have to ask yourself, was this written at the exact same time yeah. And why would you change halfway through a journal entry, go to a different scripted font, and you write a little bit differently, more condensed words, your slant is altered. And you only do that for about five or six lines. And then the next page after that, a continuation of the story, is back to the original writing style before it changed. And so we're left to analyze this and think <clears throat> some of the possibilities here. Is the red line here on the left page, is that the original break in the journal for that day or, or for that entry. If it is, guess what? It starts the next page by saying that Benjamin says nothing but the unpardonable sin can prevent him. So these are the instructions that were said to have come from Joseph Smith later on, but the indications that those came from Joseph Smith came from the new handwriting style. Hmm. The very first thing said in the new handwriting style while it shifts on this document is that pressed J.S. went to B.F. Johnson's to sleep. Before we retired, the president gave him, gave his, gave Bro Johnson and wife something, something about the priesthood. So that's where the story evolves into Joseph Smith being the author of this hmm. and Joseph Smith doing this and sealing him as as a wife. And it's really it. nothing to do with Joseph Smith. It's William Clayton's journal. I mean, there was a skip in the idea of, of who was saying this. Without this altered yeah. new handwriting style segment, if we were to cut that out, Benjamin Johnson is the one who's saying this. Hmm. But if you go back yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and you read the whole thing, now it's been updated to say that Joseph Smith said this. And so we don't know. I mean, we yeah. have to t analyze these things much closer, but anyone can tell by looking at this page that there's a major break in handwriting styles right at the part where they say that Joseph Smith was the one who said this. Yeah. And if you take that out, guess who said it? Benjamin F. Johnson. These could have been instructions from Benjamin F. Johnson for all we know, mm. right? But later on, they were they were said to be from Joseph. So these are things that make you go, hmm, you know, you need to think through and just, yeah. just be aware of it as we study this topic, right? Okay, so here's the transcription of that document we just talked about, right? Benjamin says, right? Starts out with Benjamin says, um, nothing but the unpardonable sin can prevent him, me, from inheriting eternal glory, for he is sealed up by the power of the priesthood unto having eternal life. Eternal life, having taken the step which is necessary for that purpose. He said that except a man and his wife enter into an everlasting covenant and be married for eternity while in this probation by the power and authority of the Holy Priesthood, they will cease to increase when they die, right? But those who are married by the power and authority in the priesthood in this life and continue without committing the sin against the Holy Ghost will continue to increase and have children in the celestial. So here you have it. The idea that the, this is the new and everlasting covenant of marriage comes from this page in the journal. And this was part of the original writing style, probably the first draft going through. This is before the, the change in writing style was added in. So we see here that, um, number one, Benjamin F. Johnson could have been the one who said this. Did he have any incentive 
to make the new and everlasting covenant appear to be marriage? Do you know? Benjamin Johnson? Benjamin Johnson, yeah. Um, I don't know exactly. Mm. I know that he and Clayton by this time um, were probably involved in this new covenant, the new priesthood. Yeah. Um, plural wives and, and all the things that went with that. So, um, but yeah, these are just interesting things to, to think about. And so as we move on, let's talk a little bit more about this. So here we have Willard Richards' handwriting in a draft that came later on. So William Clayton's journal was arguably the original. Um, now you have a draft going into the church history, and this is what we're showing right now, right? Steve, if you were to look at this thing, any common person can pull this up on the Joseph Smith papers. What are they going to notice? Yeah, it's been very heavily edited. It looks like William Clayton's name has been added in after the fact. And then you've got over there in the left-hand margin something about Brigham Young or B.Y., most likely Brigham Young. Um, yeah, to to be dealt... To tend. To tend to... to and then B.Y. initial. Yeah. So in the margin of this draft, so Willard Richards is putting together this draft he might have used Clayton's journal. He might not have. Who knows? Um, and then he's he's now in the margin. He's writing to tend to Brigham Young. So he's making an annotation here that Brigham Young is going to tend to this. He's yeah. going to take a look at it and maybe offer his advice or something like that, which is interesting because Brigham Young's not even recorded as being at that meeting in Ramus. So, so Brigham Young's going to take a look at this according to the margin and. Um, who knows? But remember, early on in this presentation, we talked about DNC 131 had a phrase added to the story. Clayton's journal didn't contain the yeah. new everlasting covenant of marriage in description to this new order of the priesthood. Those brackets, yeah. Those brackets were added, right? Yeah. So yeah. Brigham Young was heavily involved in the 1876 edition of the scriptures. Um, and this could have been something that Willard Richards teed up Brigham Young to take a look at, maybe thinking, hey, this has to do with marriage and polygamy and the new order of things we might need Brigham Young to come in here and clarify some stuff for us, right? Okay, so <clears throat> it's not uncommon in, in church history, volumes one through seven, <clears throat> to have two or three different variations of the same story. So you have the journal account of Clayton in the upper left. Then you have a draft version of that. Both of them so far don't contain the bracketed parentheses uh, the, the bracketed statement there, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. That's interesting because this is like in the 1850s when they're drafting these things to be written in church history. Even in the drafts and even in the final version, the, the one brackets on the bottom, are still not there. All three yeah. transcriptions going into church history don't have meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage in any of the drafts. Yeah. So even after these drafts were finalized in probably the late 1850s, we still have a fourth version of this, which is DNC 131 in the scriptures. And so you have four different variations of this, and only the last one in 1876 contains parenthetical statements. What does that tell you? Was this originally seen as the new and everlasting covenant of marriage? Probably not. Who knows? So, Steve? You want to take this one? You're a scriptorian of sorts. And so talk to us about the New Everlasting Covenant of Marriage and what you found as far as the evolution of it. So how it has been changed. One thing that was that was really interesting to me was that in DNC 1, which was written in 
1831, in DNC 1, the Lord says in verse 15, he says, for they have strayed from mine ordinances and broken mine everlasting covenant. And he's addressing the people of the church, the church of Christ. So he's saying they've broken the new and everlasting covenant, which in DNC 131 is defined as, as eternal marriage. But if we didn't even receive DNC 131 and DNC 132 until 1843, okay, how could the saints have broken the new and everlasting covenant of marriage if they didn't even have it? So what is going on in DNC 1? That's a question that you should That's ask. That's a great question. Yeah. So for those of us that are into the theology and the scriptures and, and the, you know, the doctrinal aspect of these things, what is the new and everlasting covenant? Is this stuff mentioned in the Book of Mormon, right? Um, and, and what does it say about it? Is marriage, you know, ever taught by Jesus when it comes to the Nephites as part of the everlasting covenant? Because remember, this entry says you cannot obtain heaven without it. Yeah. So if it's part of the fullness of the gospel, which the Book of Mormon contains, what verses contain celestial marriage? Yeah, that's a, that's a super good point. Moroni came and said, you know, the Book of Mormon, it contains the fullness of the everlasting gospel. And that... Yeah. New and everlasting covenant of marriage is not there. Right. And the record of Joseph is included in that which is going to come forth to confound false doctrine. Yeah. Right. And to set things straight. Um, so here we have um, in the Book of Mormon, that first one, Second Nephi 31, Nephi is teaching, and this is dated, estimated to be 600 BC or so, um, 560. For the gate by which you should enter is repentance and baptism by water. And then cometh a remission of your sins by the by fire and by the Holy Ghost. And then April 1830, what does that one say? This is a new and everlasting and an everlasting covenant, even that which was from the beginning. Aha. So does it sound like the new and everlasting covenant has changed? That's never changed. Okay. Well, this is interesting. Go ahead. Enter ye in at the gate. Well, we just learned what the gate was. That's repentance and baptism by water. Enter ye in at the gate as I have commanded. Okay, so there we get a totally different definition of what the New and Everlasting Covenant is. It is repentance and baptism of water, and then he will baptize us with the gift of the Holy Ghost. So entering in at the gate. Tell me, in LDS theology in general, or Restoration Branch theology, is the gate at the beginning or at the end? The gate in typical, the way I understood it in LDS theology, is that the gate was the end. It says enter in at the gate, though. Yeah. So yeah. it can't be the end. Yeah. This, he's talking about this one of the first things you go into. So in the Latter-day Saint Church, when, when kids turn eight and they're ready to enter in at the gate or whatever we say, are we slapping celestial marriage on these kids? Because that's if that's the everlasting covenant of marriage is what they're talking about, which is the gate, which is the everlasting covenant, then we have a major problem because in the Latter-day Saint Church, that comes after years of devotion and membership and you have to get a temple recommend and you have to that's one of the latter ordinances that you receive and, yeah. and therefore there's nothing about entering in at the gate really that would signify a, a beginning for somebody who has faith to enter in all right so that was april 1830 right even that which is from the beginning entering at the gate 1831 in March, what was the everlasting covenant? And, and even, what does this mean? And even so, I have sent my everlasting covenant into the world to be a light to the world and to be a standard for my people. Wait a minute. What's wrong with the date here? Yeah, again, we've got 1831, March, same thing, same problem we have in DNC 1, where the new and everlasting covenant 
is they've broken it, but yet they haven't even received it yet. So how is that possible? And according to the scripture, he's already sent it into the world. Yeah. Right. So where was celestial marriage in New York in 1830? Yeah. It, according to the DNC 131, it has to already be here, if that's really what he's referring to with the New and Everlasting Covenant. So May 1831, just a couple months later, quote, I have sent unto you mine everlasting covenant, even that which was from the beginning. So there we have the idea that the everlasting covenant does not change. It's from the beginning. And God's already sent it to us. He said that twice. As of you know, spring of 1831, God says, you already have this everlasting covenant among you. And you've already broken it. So, <laughs> so this cannot be, this cannot coordinate with the idea that the new and everlasting covenant of marriage is a thing, at least originally a thing. It became a thing later on, much later. So in 1876, we have here the updated version of the new and everlasting covenant. In order to obtain the highest, a man must enter into this order of the priesthood, meaning the new and everlasting covenant of marriage. When we go through it like this, it just seems so clear that it that it has been changed. Yeah, and we did other episodes on changes in church history, so you yeah. should be pretty familiar with that. If if you if you hear this and you think, why would people make changes to church history? Is this really a thing? Why would they alter this? Go back and watch the, the video called Changing LDS Church History. And we have an hour-long presentation that talks about who made the changes systematically, who was involved, who directed them, what were some of those changes. Now, this is the first of, of many episodes where we're going to get into what those changes actually were. This is the first one. In fact, May 16, 1843, on this official LDS timeline, right? Joseph Smith is teaching eternal marriage is required for exaltation and then sealed the couple for eternity. So we have this idea that, you know, Benjamin Johnson and his wife were sealed for eternity on this date. And then May 28th, 1843, tune into one of our next videos. We're going to talk about the record of Joseph Smith and Emma Smith being sealed. We're going to take a look at the May 28th, 1843 records and do some digging. You guys want to tune in for that. So, um, Look up here for a link to that presentation, or at the very end of this, there will be a video link to see that next one when it comes out. And so, um, any last remarks, Steve? Any other comments you want to make? No. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. So, um, remember to subscribe and share this if you find it interesting. And uh, we will cover a lot more of these topics. And this is basically part one of this new and everlasting covenant series. We might get into some other ones later on. For example, Joseph and Emma's ceiling. But let us know in the comments what you think happened. Let us know. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. If you like this show, share it with your people. Join the conversation on Facebook, YouTube, or HemlockKnots.com where you'll find show notes and source material for these subjects and much more.